Business is simple. It's just not easy. We focus on three things to help you run and grow your business more easily. Talent, sales, and how to scale. This is the Talent, Sales, and Scale Show. Hey everyone, Brian Whittington with this episode of the Talent, Sales, and Scale Show. We have David J.P. Fisher, call him D. Fish for short, would you? He's a multi-time author with a really cool one that we're going to be jumping into today called the Hyper, or Hyper-Connected Selling. He is, if you want to reach out to him, check him out on LinkedIn. What he's doing is keynote speaking and author of the Sales Sherpa Path, as well as the president and business coach of Rockstar Consulting. So with that said, welcome D. Fish. Thanks for having me. Super excited to talk. Yeah. So Deep Fish, the way that that comes up, if you're wondering, he's a rock star. So uh, that's pretty cool. A band member here. Uh, yeah. It's a curious thing how many really good salespeople are good musicians or they come out of an engineering field. It seems to be one of those two, what I'm finding. So very, very curious. There you go. Right. <laughs> well, so I, I, I got to ask you, and the reason I w- was excited to have you here on the show is hyper-connected selling. Mm-hmm. I don't care the type of sales that you do. Um, there, there has to be a lot of business development. And, and I had a person ask me today on one of our interviews, well, is there a difference between prospecting and business development? And I would say, mm-hmm. yes, there is. But business development, in my mind, is a little bit more strategic, a little bit more targeted. Right. And that's what really caught my attention about your book, Hyper, uh, Hyper-Connected Selling. So I, I guess to really dive into it, question number one that we always ask the is, you know, what makes you an expert? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So you wrote the book, but why should we even listen to you? Yeah, I, I actually, that's a great question. I'm still trying to figure it out. <laughs> uh, you know, I've actually been in the sales game for about 25 years and, and started uh, like a lot of people do, strangely enough, working with a company called Cutco, which is a, a direct in-home uh, sales process selling the world's finest cutlery. It's still great. I got mine still in my kitchen. Uh, but but I came from that very, uh, I call it the street ball of sales, right? If you're going to walk into a person's house, you got 45 minutes to build a relationship, uncover need, go through the closing, everything, right? And then, you know, I went on after that uh, as a my experience as a sales rep to actually run their office uh, in Chicago, trained over 1,500 salespeople during that time. And the reason I bring that up is because during that time, even as a, a very young professional, I was diving into not only the, the practical and tactical, you know, how do we actually build relationships with clients and, and teaching people how to do that, but also really looking at a lot of the strategy that was happening. And, you know, I started in the late 90s. And just the other day, I was, uh, I was thinking about this and actually posted on LinkedIn. When I started in selling, there was no caller ID. Cell phones were brand new. There was no do not call list. Email was pretty new. We were still using fax machines. Uh, right? Facebook, LinkedIn weren't even around. Um, and I bring that up because th- it was very old schools. Like we can make phone calls, you know, the business development prospecting, you know, difference wasn't as, as big back then because there was only a few channels we could use. But over the, the, the 20 years after that, what's been really interesting is seeing how much the world has changed. And, and I think that if we continue to approach sales like we did in the in, in the late 90s, let's say, early 2000s, we're going to struggle. And so even in hyper-connected selling, what I was trying to do is look at what are the core parts of how we used to sell that are still relevant and important, but how do we look at it in a context where there is an internet, there is social media. Uh, I mean, if all you're trying to do is use the phone, uh, you know, maybe some email, you're going to struggle. And so what does it really mean to be a uh, whether you call yourself a business development rep or a salesperson, wherever you're kind of plugged into that sales process, what does it mean to be successful? And that's really kind of the underpinnings of hyper-connected selling. Well, so let's push back a little bit, right? So I could hear people right now going, ah, this guy, he's he's old school in the house, showing up, doing B2C type sales. So you know, the majority of the people that are, are tend to tune in are that uh, B2B, inside sales, account executive, or inside sales, BDR, yep. SDRs, uh, whole pipeline management. So talk to that person. Why, why should they listen to you? You're, you're in people's homes, for goodness sakes. Yeah, right, which doesn't happen as much. 
Here's why you should listen. Because by the way, that was 25 years ago. Most of the work I do right now is B2B with, with a lot of both inside and outside teams. Why you should listen is that no matter if it was B2C, B2B, whatever two letters you want to put uh, around the, the two there, it, in the end, it's H to H. It's human to human, right? And you are, uh, let's say you're, you're in an SDR role and you're trying to get somebody to pay attention to you in a super loud, super noisy world. If you don't know how to connect on a human level and grab that attention, and then once you have that attention to be able to speak intelligently and in a way that's relevant to that person, you're going to struggle, right? And so really the core of what I learned early on is, you know, kind of tracked through my entire career is the importance of connecting with that other person. Is that importance of figuring out what is, you know, you want to call it the pain point or whatever that they're really struggling with and then speaking to that. Because if, and I've seen this definitely in the last 10 or 15 years, I think we've now got some pushback because of uh, having to make changes because of the pandemic. But we saw this technologicalization <laughs> of sales. Not even a word. Not even, I just completely made it up. Right? I like that. But but this idea of like oh it's just the 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 tech stack you know as long as we have the right you know uh, sales tools we're going to be successful and yeah that works um, you know in in an economy that's booming and people got a lot of money just to throw around but that's not really selling that was just like hoping I can send a bunch of emails out and you know somebody will will, will bite so that's why you know if 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 uh, you want to be uh, uh, technical about it, I guess people should listen to me because it allow having that human to human element is actually what takes all of the technology that we have and actually makes it uh, effective. Okay, so I want to unpack that a little bit. Now, you you talked about connected human to human, and I get that, but then you went down a path that I wasn't expecting to do. You you went down a path of identifying problems, challenges, pain, whatever you want to call it, um, and I wasn't expecting that. So, can you? Give me a definition of how you're saying what connected is. What do you mean by connecting human to human? So a shorthand way of saying it is empathy, right? Of actually having empathy for our buyer, having empathy for the human being that we are actually interacting with. I think what happened is we forgot that in the end, selling is a conversation, right? And by the way, in a B2B sale, you might have, depending on what statistic you look at, anywhere from nine to 17 people on the buyer side involved with that buying decision. So it's not necessarily always H to H, it's H to H to H to H to H. And the, but the, the, the more that you can realize that and go, hey, my job is to use all the tools I have available to me to actually connect with that person, you know, not only grasp some attention, but then go, how can I help this person make a better decision? You know, you, you mentioned the sales Sherpa path. And what I, what I uh, talk about in hyper-connected selling and a lot of my other books is the idea that to be successful in sales today, the goal is to really be the trusted guide, the resource to a buyer's buying journey, right? It used to be as sellers, we walked in with all the information, all the cards in our hand, right? But now with the internet, buyers can get whatever they want whenever they want. So we can't go with information as our value add. It has to be with the insights and the ability to use the information, or excuse me, to, to help our customers use the information they have to make decisions more easily, more effectively, and, and with less risk, right? That's what's so important these days. So that's why I say the idea of connecting human to human is so important. Because if you don't have that connection, they're not going to tell you what's really the challenge. They're not going to tell you what their organization needs. They're not going to tell you, yeah, our organization needs this, but really I'm also afraid for my job because my boss, you know, if I screw this up, you know, right? In the end, you are always selling to a person. And it's so easy to forget that uh, with all of the, the, the SaaS platforms and, you know, uh, market intelligence that we have available. It's always that person on the other side of the, the, the desk or the Zoom call. Right, that we yeah. have to address. And that's kind of where I was expecting you to go was that more human to human, that, that connection, uh, you know, some vernacular is called bonding, other vernaculars, building trust, other vernaculars, empathy. So whatever you call it, yeah. it's how do you connect to that person in a, and, and you don't use this language, but what, what I'm catching is how do we build trust 
with this person as quickly as possible. Yeah. Old, old, I mean, this is where old school sales is still relevant. I learned this early on. People do business, all things being equal with those they know, like, and trust, right? And that's, uh, you can find that in so many sales books. And it's true. Nobody, I've yet to meet somebody who's like, man, I don't trust this person. I don't really like them, but I'm going to do business with them. Yeah, it's very rare because you have to have a really, really huge level of pain or a, a huge problem that only one person can fix. And the likelihood of that in this day and age is, is fairly slim to none. So uh, <laughs> fully yeah, agree with exactly that. Right. Now, you, you said uh, there's a core couple of things that are still relevant. So I don't know if you have that in, in list format or if you want to break down, what are maybe some of the core uh, core items that are relevant, no matter age, no matter time frame, no matter what we're selling. Let's get the core, and then let's talk about next thing is what's changed. So well, let's talk, start off with the core that are still relevant. Yeah. So we were just touching on one there, which is that I the idea of connecting on a human to human level as as a person, and I think com concurrent with that are just some of the 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 people skills, and I, I think that that's a a word that's or a phrase that's kind of overused and misunderstood, but the idea of being able to be empathetic, to be curious, to be likable, right? To actually be able to walk into a conversation and have that conversation with somebody new. I, I, I say this all the time. We have all this technology to help us get attention from a prospect, to get in front of them. But so often, and, and I see this a lot with new sellers, they're, they're not giving the training to, of what to do when they actually have that that person who picks up the phone and is like, okay, I'm interested. Keep talking. And the, I was uh, expecting this to go to a voicemail. Oh, let me. Right. Right. Or, you know, walking into a, a sales call and all they have is a, a demo presentation on a slide deck and they don't know how to deviate. They don't know how to really key into what um, a, a prospect, you know, maybe some of the nonverbal cues that they're getting and go, oh, wait, there's a signal there, a signal there. So that piece is still so important, right? Um, some of that's natural, some of that comes from training. Um, and, and I think kind of combined with that is uh, the idea of problem solving, let, let's call it generally, the idea of um, being able to, when you're in that conversation with, with a prospect, hear some disparate pieces of information and go, oh wait, let me talk to you about how we might be able to solve this, uh, this issue that you're coming up with. Uh, a great book by a gentleman named Jeff Colvin called Humans Are Underrated. Uh, and one of the things he talks about is that uh, machines are much better at uh, solving problems, giving a set you know, parameter, like here's, what's, here's the inputs, we need this output. But the thing is, if you think about business decisions, the goals are usually shifting and changing sometimes on the fly. The information that people are giving you is changing on the fly. That's, I think, something that's really important for uh, the modern salesperson to be able to walk into and, and share. Um, and I think probably the third piece that's getting to be, that always was important, but is now even more important, is the idea of being able to share a compelling story or message clearly, um, hopefully succinctly, and in a way that's relevant to the hearer. Right. You know, I, I also write a lot of, of books about networking, like the idea of that, that elevator pitch or elevator speech. Um, even though I don't like the term because I've never given one on an elevator, uh, the idea of being able to present what you or what your organization does, what your company does, your product or service, clearly, quickly, in a way that makes somebody go, hey, I want to have a deeper conversation about this. That was important 20 years ago, 50 years ago, still important today. Interesting. Okay. So really, if you talk about it, uh, number one is being able to build an environment of trust using empathy, curious, likability. And that likability is, is really rather critical. So from a, a key takeaway, and this is one thing that if you're interviewing for new positions, or if you're going onto a sales call, if you're using Zoom, there's those little dots that then you have to check the box. <laughs> for, right, right. Yeah. For goodness sakes, be the first person to speak, right? Because yep. otherwise that likability starts to go down if they're having to carry that 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 mm -hmm. um that conversation so that's the one piece and then the second piece like you said is that problem solving be able, being able to connect the dots that business acumen and there's a couple of different ways yeah. that you can do that and I'll come to this and what I'm going to look for you is some tactical advice on this D um so that's that problem solving connecting the dots to make the 
the the buyer's journey less fraught with danger, like you said, with that Sherpa yeah, exactly. idea. And then lastly is storytelling, being able to succinctly with details and with engagement, right? Bringing that energy, being able to tell stories so they get pulled in. And because people buy, mm -hmm. they buy on emotions, not intellectual. And that storytelling can de-risk it and allow them to get emotionally involved and see themselves there. So that's a really good summation. Now, can you give some how to advice. So let's talk about empathetic, curious, being yeah. likable. Any one, two takeaways there, tactics that you might suggest? Yeah. So a couple quick and easy ways of doing this. One is to do some sort of self-assessment. Uh, I actually think one of the keys to success as a human, I'm not even talking about business right now, is self-awareness. And so whatever that means for you, whether that is uh, taking a personality test through work, whether that's working with uh, a therapist, whether it's working with a coach, whether it's just just getting some real awareness of what your strengths are and what your weaknesses are, because you, you have them. We all do. We all have things that people really like about us and that drive people nuts. For those of us who are, are married or have a significant other, the person that loves you the most, trust me, has some things that are they are annoyed with. But, but that examination is the first step because then you can actually go, okay, how do I mitigate this? Like I can be very brusque or I can, you know, uh, be too friendly too quickly. Like how do I mitigate that, right? Uh, I, I think that's a big piece of it. And the other thing, and this sounds strange, this is especially relevant for the younger salesperson, practice. Get out. You know, one of the things that as, as an early, uh, early in my career as a young professional, I was fortunate with, I literally had conversations with thousands and thousands of people. You know, that, that's how you get good at it. You kind of have to. Yeah. And, and that's a key takeaway, right? Don't stand behind the desk. Don't stand behind the email or the text or the mm -hmm. LinkedIn message. Having conversations is really where you hone your skills. It might be the most uncomfortable for you, but you can't learn this stuff on the sideline. You have to jump in and really be able to do it. And and, and getting beat up sometimes is your best left life lesson. Yeah, and, and and unfortunately, a lot of these things we're talking about, you know, they're called soft skills, and I hate that term soft because it makes it seem like it's not valuable. But it is true that it's they're they're not a checklist, right? You can't just like check a box in Excel spreadsheet. Good with people, uh, you know. I've got eighty-seven percent likability, but to your point, if you get out there, if you try, I mean, this is where I, I think finding professional opportunities that are not necessarily sales opportunities, like networking or uh, associations or organizations, finding a place where you have the opportunity to have those conversations can be so valuable, especially I said on a tactical way of practicing it. So that's that's where I'd start with with those skills. Yeah. Now, how about from a problem-solving perspective, because um, that's one that is mm -hmm. probably the most important uh, above everything, because if you're able to problem solve and solve somebody's issues that they can't figure out how to do on their own, I mean, that's where the real value, value of a salesperson comes in. So how mm -hmm. might somebody practice that problem solving, uh, being able to help that buyer connect the dots and make that journey a little bit less fraught with danger? Yeah. And I want to reinforce what you just said, because I think that this is going to become more and more the key differentiator of what keeps a salesperson not only successful, but employed. Because technology is going to be able to replace a lot of the rote and routine, but being able to walk into a, a meeting with, let's say, some of you know important prospects and go, oh, I'm hearing this and this and this. Let me put you know these all together and come up with a new solution. That's really where the value is. You used a term earlier, which I think is really important, and that's business acumen. And business acumen, there's a lot of definitions, but basically the idea of understanding how what you're selling fits into the larger context of that organization. Not only the people you're selling to, but what it means for that organization. You know, there's always the, there's a lot of different ways this story gets told, but the the adage that people don't want to, I think I just heard this, they don't want a three-fourths of an inch drill bit, they want a three-fourths of an inch hole, right? Um, and so what I would suggest is this is where product knowledge industry knowledge comes into play, not because your customers want you to tell them about the industry. It's so that you can go, hey, I know what's happening, not only maybe in my own sphere, but also do some learning outside. Like, hey, I'm selling this one SaaS product, but AI and machine learning might have an impact on that in five years. So 
I should probably be at least kind of keeping up to date with that. Um, the, the, the idea, I, I think problem solving is really about creativity in a lot of ways, right? It's about being able to come up with the new solution. So it's a muscle. You got to practice it. And a lot of that just comes in, as I said, from information, watching how other people are solving it, talking to the veterans in the organization, not only in sales, but you know, in your product uh, development, project management people uh, across the board. So do me a favor, speak to that 22-year-old just graduating from university, just getting into sales, SDR, BDR, having a call to the C-suites, and they, they need business acumen, but they, they're trying to figure out how to do anything, right? This is brand new for them. What's one, two, three things that they might be able to do to, to help them along to shorten down that learning cycle? Yeah, it's a really good question. The first suggestion I'll make is probably not what you'd expect. Commit to your industry. So I didn't say commit to your company. Hopefully you can, but, and it's tough when you're 22 and you're just trying to figure it out, but try to find some place that you can see at least being there for three to five years because you're not going to figure it out in three months, right? That's, that's just not going to happen. Um, so, so be in a place where you're like, hey, I'm interested, I'm engaged, I could stand behind this. Again, you might change companies, but if you're a 22-year-old and you get to 30 and you've been in five different industries, you're, you keep, you're, you know, you've shot yourself in the foot over that, that decade. Commit to the industry. Uh, go and talk and make friends with somebody who's veteran in your organization. Get a mentor. And you're going to get a lot of, hopefully, well, hopefully, training and support from your organization, but maybe not, or they, they might just be giving you the rote, you know, prox, you know, demo information. I guarantee you there's somebody in your organization, probably in sales, but maybe, you know, one of the other functions. Reach out, maybe talk to a couple of people, find, find somebody who, who you connect with. And just go go with a sense of humility and be like, I want to learn. I want to learn what really, what the impact we're really having on our customers. Help me understand the business aspects of it, um, and and just learn, right? I mean, and learn in that setting. And then the the third thing, and this is really hard for salespeople. I feel, especially the well, I'd like to blame younger people. It's not. I mean, those of us who are attracted to sales, there's a reason. Personality wise, study. I mean, it's, it's whether it's, and I, I like the fact that we can now have video learning, we can have podcasts, we can have articles, and but there's so many different ways to learn, but make a conscious effort to learn about what's going on in your business. Even if that's putting in your calendar one day a week for one hour, I'm going to read X, you know, industry periodical, uh, or I'm going to find three podcasts about my industry, about selling, whatever it is. I'm going to listen to them and I'm going to learn. Uh, sales is interesting because you don't need to get a degree. You don't need to get a license, right? You're not a doctor, you're not a lawyer. But I think it's a, uh, a, you know, a profession just like a doctor or lawyer that requires that much skill. So you just have to put the effort into doing it yourself to learn. Yeah, because the curious thing is, if you do well at sales, you can out-earn a doctor or a lawyer and you don't have the, the, the uh, malpractice insurance right. to go along with it. So you can actually be more profitable. Um, now, Absolutely. so I want to get to what's changed. But before I get to that, I want to at least hit on the topic here, the, the hyper-connected selling. So is that... In my mind, is that, hey, how do you do social selling on LinkedIn? Or can you speak to that a little bit? Whenever you say hyper-connected selling, is it just that of being empathetic, being able to problem solve and storytell? Or is it mm -hmm. also bringing in social selling, networking through different uh, different channels? Can you speak to that a bit? Uh, yes and yes. <laughs> so hyper-connected selling for me is really the idea that we are connected in ways that we weren't 20 years ago. Part of that is absolutely through the practical methods of, you know, uh, LinkedIn. In my latest book was an update of networking in the 21st century on LinkedIn. So that's a huge part of it. The fact that we can go online and connect. But it's also just the fact that when both on the buyer side and the seller side, there are so many more connections and links between each of those two sides and also within them, right? I mean, the, it really kind of stems from the easy access to information. And our job as salespeople is not, in, in my opinion, to give information anymore. 
which 20 years ago, I, again, I, 20, 25 years ago, even beyond that, it was because we forget how hard it was to find information, right? In, you know, I think about, let's say the mid nineties, if you wanted to find out about a company, you actually had to go to the library, right? And get some of the reference materials and some of the big journals that came out. I want to, you know, find a prospect list. That's what you had to do. We couldn't just pick up, you know, our phones and do a quick Google search. Same thing on the buyer side. It was so much harder to get information. They needed you to come over with that brochure, right? And when you understand that that connection is there, uh, and not just that, like all these connections, may, the idea of just being like, I'm going to pound the phone until I talk to somebody who wants me to sell them right then and there is kind of ridiculous. Instead, we have to, in my opinion, again, this is all my opinion, um, be in an environment where I know my prospects are connected with each other, with information, with testimonials and referrals, with all the good and bad of what's been said and written about our company and our products and our services. Um, they're, they're having conversations internally at a speed way higher than it was decades ago. And then I got to put myself into that information in that mix. You know, I call it the sales matrix. It's not a linear sales process anymore. It's, there's all these variables and information coming in and we kind of have to navigate that. We have to surf that not only to help our prospects, but to help our, our, ourselves as well. So yeah, all the other connections, whether it's online or offline, come into that. But really that's the, the core of hyper-connected selling. That's actually a really interesting thought that I've not, not considered is Slack, Teams. It's now all contextualized information. It's no longer emails and you're missing stuff and the communication is, is super slow. I mean, everything is moving so quickly. I hadn't considered how much of an impact that that has on the internal communication that we're trying to figure out. So if we're only have one champion within the organization and we're not going, uh, I think they call it um, cross-threading or uh, I forget the, yeah. The, yeah, there's so many terms out there. Um, right. But if you're not getting connected to multiple people, getting their perspectives and staying within that chatter, you're, on, you're, you're really putting yourself in a disadvantage, I would think. Absolutely. And to a point we made earlier, yeah, you might have your champion, but by the way, your champion might be different than the end user, might be different than the CFO who's going to like, okay, the check, then the, the leader of that department who your champion was in, right? There are so many different nodes of influence um, and decision-making within there that you have to, if you ignore that, you're out of, you're going to be out of luck, Right. And to your point, yeah, they can jump on Slack or just imagine, you, you know, let's say you're selling into the C-suite. Guess what? People in the C-suite talk to other people in the C-suite, their friends. That they're like, hey, we're thinking of using company XYZ. Anybody have some experience with that? And that's, that's or a text to their friend, like just in the meeting, hey, we've got company so-and-so here. What are you guys using for your CRM, for your accounting? Do you like it? You, you're going to have to navigate that. Um, and they're going to go with a recommendation over a net new because it's less risky for them, right? Yeah. Um, you and I are both members of Vistage. You, you speak at Vistage and there's whole entire networks that are back and forth. The business owners going back and forth. Hey, I, I, I need help here. I need help there. So it's not just within their organization, but peer groups without or throughout and professional organizations. Right. You have G2 and every, everyone else. So, it, I mean, my gosh, it's everywhere. And how do you navigate that? So I'm kind of curious, um, any how-tos of how to best navigate that? Uh, with, you know, suggestions of, of some, some of the stuff that you've written in your books. Yeah. So I think there's, th there's a, a couple key things. And part of this is uh, going to be, this part is a little self-serving. So I just did uh, updated editions of networking in the 21st century and networking in the 21st century on LinkedIn. But you had mentioned LinkedIn before. I think a part of what a good salesperson is doing is building up reputation and brand before they need it. And this, for example, is where I think something like LinkedIn is super valuable. The ability to have a personal professional website where you're sharing the value that you uh, provide to your, your prospects and clients, and then being able to be in conversations. Imagine decades ago, you had to go to a conference and see all of the, the decision makers and people that you're trying to influence. Now you can do that every day. And so being kind of forward thinking, uh, as far, I mean, that's kind of the whole point of my, my sales Sherpa 
metaphor is you want to be the person that others know has been to the top of the mountain and can take them there. And that's before they ever decide they want to go to that mountain. You want to be the person that they're in a conference room going, hey, we or a Zoom call, right? Going, we need to fix X. And you want somebody in that room to go, hey, you know what? I Let's call Brian. He's always talking about this. I, I think, you know, he's a guy that we should at least bring into this conversation, right? Um, so I think that that's, that's a key part of it. And then the other, I think, is really just acknowledging that the the salesperson's role is more than just prospecting is more than just picking up the phone is more than just you know emailing until they pay attention to you right even if you're looking at like let's say an SDR position the companies that are doing it right like yes that person's doing a bulk of the the initial outreach but they're integrated into that that sales process having the conversation that leads to a good conversation with an AE or whatever it might be, right? It's not just this transactional um, approach. Because if you just have a transactional approach, you're going to struggle because eventually your job is going to be replaced by a computer, <laughs> right? Um, so I think I think I, the you know I I talk, I talk about three things: mindset, tool, skill set, tool set. Most organizations focus on the tool sets. Some a little bit on the skill sets, but very few people understand the mindset of like, hey, I need to get baked into this account, right? I, I whether you call it account-based marketing, account-based selling, maybe whatever it is, but just be like, I need to know not only who is my my champion that I'm talking to, but who else could influence this decision, and are there ways to bring them in um, to the sales process? There's not just like a, an easy one thing to do, but even just having that mindset where I'm going to want to have mul multiple threads into that account, I think that's really key as well. Yeah. Now, uh, whenever you say tool sets, are you talking sales enablement or you, toolkits? What do, what do you mean by that? I I, I think that's partly uh, encompassed by sales enablement. For me, tool sets is a way of thinking about this is is a. Uh, you're building a house. You got to have the hammer. You got to have to know, you have to know how to use the hammer, right? To have the skills, but then you also have to have some blueprints or else you're just randomly hammering, right? And I think it's really easy um, to get, and we've seen the growth of sales enablement, and I think is in general a good thing, but it's because we've had the technologicalization, right? Where you see the sales stack at some organizations where they're like, Here's the 15 different platforms we're using for each little sliver. And so sales enablement um, often just becomes a way of, and incorrectly, I, like I have friends in sales enablement who are absolute rock stars, but done poorly, it's who's the person who's going to train all our people to use Sales Navigator, to use HubSpot versus let's give them the tools, let's make sure that they have and, and they can use them. But then it's what are we using those tools to accomplish? Right, and, and really putting some of the effort in there. And then even, again, more broadly, even kind of connecting with that idea of sales acumen or business acumen, like, you know, just take a sliver, LinkedIn Sales Navigator, super powerful tool, but it's, hey, I wanna get into these accounts to provide these kinds of services because we have this sort of competitive advantage. So to do that, <laughs> I'm going to present my brand and build a reputation in that world, to do that, then I'm going to use Sales Navigator. I need to know all the, you know, the features and functions. That I think is the way to approach it. Versus, hey, I've got Sales Navigator, so uh, go LinkedIn message people some more. Well, and and so we've been talking a lot on the sales tactical side and, and the yeah. sales mindset. So let's talk about the leadership. There's a lot of people, and I just ran in, ran across this uh, the other day that somebody was doing really well. They're seeing better results. But their team, the, the management is so locked into, you will do this cadence, these metrics, or you're done. We don't care results, right? So <laughs> I am very much a behavioralist, right? I right. really believe in the leading and lagging indicators. So sometimes I can be guilty of that. However, there's also the results. And it's not just spay, spray and pray anymore. You, it, it's so noisy out there, like we keep pointing out, that you have to do things in a differentiated fashion to stand out amongst the noise. So speak to that manager 
about eh, maybe your metrics, although are important, aren't quite right. Right. Okay. How many hours do we have for this? And let me see if I can really tick somebody off. Three minutes, no problem, right? Let me see if I can really tick somebody off. So here's, and I've actually had this same conversation a lot. And and full disclosure, I I often go into organizations and will be kind of like a, a fractional sales leader, right? I'll do sales coaching, especially doing some of the face-to-face working with their teams and then developing some of those metrics. So I've been there, I get it. One of the biggest challenges I think is twofold. Well, it's twofold. One is a lot of sales leaders came up in a different world, right? I mean, I'm 45, so, but I also started in sales very young and sales management very young. If you came up as a salesperson in the, let's say the early nineties and you're you know 50, about 50 now, you're the VP of sales, you came up in a spray and pray world that worked. Your successes and your emotional connection with those successes is like, hey, I just I just pounded it. It was hustle, right? And that's why I really feel that 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 hustle mentality, that sales is a numbers game mentality, is so it, it's sticky. It's hard to get rid of because it's an emotional connection that a lot of leadership has to their past. So that's the first thing. The second is sales. I mentioned before that it used to be linear. Now it's a little more of a matrix and it's a little fuzzier and it's hard to track. Um, that's really tough when you're a sales manager and you're getting pressure to hit a number, like to hit a quota, like we need to see X, X amount of revenue and that's going to come based on our numbers from X number of meetings, get them set up. So I think trying to talk to sales leadership without that broader context is, it, that's that's where we, we fall short, right? Um, so I think just being very realistic about what the emotional pressures are on us. Cause I, I, I'm with you, it, we're behavioral, right? We can tell a sales manager all day long, but if they're like, yeah, but I'm getting yelled at by my VP of sales to get more calls, it doesn't matter. So to get a little bit in the weeds, would you suggest that we adjust our leading and lagging indicators? Um, because that's the beauty about what we have. There's so much insight with this, these sales enablement tools. You can get fairly scientific about the numbers. So are you finding that you're switching up your leading and lagging indicators a touch? Absolutely. So the, the, when I go and work with organizations, I can, again, just speak to my experience here, is the first thing we're always looking for is, is the results we want. So we're looking to, hey, and not just the intermediate, like what are we trying to do? You know, new, whether it's new accounts, whether it's building up, whatever, what's that revenue goal? Then it's making the best attempt at understanding what activities will lead to the um, the intermediate result goals that we need, right? So if we need X revenue, we need we think Y number of, of, of meetings. So, okay, how do we get to Y number of meetings, right? All this, I think, for a lot of sales managers, hopefully is, is pretty common sense, but I, I found that it's not necessarily, right? Yeah, there's a lot of people that don't do this. Because then what I do is go, okay, if we know we need to get X meetings, all I really care is if the people are getting those X meetings. If somebody hits, and I'll actually be super specific. I was doing this kind of work. Uh, I was uh, basically a fractional sales manager slash coach for a seven-person inside sales team. The co- they, got, they were doing very well. They got bought by a large organization. That CRO came in and was like, your people are not making the, I think he wanted 70 calls a day. They're doing on average half of that. By the way, our team was doing double the revenue of their exit, you know, in those 35 calls than the existing team doing 70. And it got to the point where the, the COO of the, the company that had originally hired me basically went to bat and was like, shut up, dude. We're making a lot more money. That's why you bought us. Why? And that's how I know about the emotional struggle here. But um, to, to, to the point here, it's you really look at the, does the activity that you're getting lead to the results you want? Super, I, I say that, hopefully everyone's like, well, duh. But that's not what happens, right? Yeah, and it seems, so what I've been toying through and just kind of brainstorming here, and we'll, we'll get to the, the final final couple of questions here to tie this up. But uh, what I'm looking to do is hopefully what you're taking away here is really practical advice on how to do this. So if you look at the leading and lagging indicators or the leading indicators are typically activities, 
Yeah. A lot of times those leading indicators right now gets into the squirrely things that you might not have considered in the old days is research. How personalized can you make that, that message? So can you have maybe break up that team into personalization so the people that might not be detail-oriented, not list builders, can you take mm -hmm. that off so then they can have more conversations? So it might be to attempts as opposed to calls. It might be attempts as opposed to emails, right? That blended approach. Right based upon this list that you're giving with this personalized message. And then that drives, because the beauty is once you have that initial conversation, the rest of those leading and lagging indicators seem to be the same. It just seems to be at that very, very top of the funnel. That seems to be switching up a little bit. I'm not sure if that's aligning with what you're seeing or not. Absolutely. And it, this is where I think it does depend a little bit on industry, you know, kind of like what exactly you're selling. But, but to your point, the idea of finding those those leading indicators and managing to them. And I, I guess here's the other thing that I think doesn't happen. Somebody tries to set a plan, whether it's a sales manager, director of sales, VP, doesn't matter what level. They go, here's the plan, here's the numbers. And then they just say, go. And they think that that's going to work for the next year, you know, whatever. I mean, this is a dynamic, you know, process. You might have a salesperson, you know, that is, Hey, they are more of a numbers person. They like, and it's working for them. They, they, they need more high volume, you know, that maybe for whatever reason, they, they aren't as efficient. Great. Encourage them to get out there and do that. You might have that other person who uh, is a little more of the research oriented person is like, Hey, I'm going to have half the outreach, but I'm going to do a little research and really boil my, uh, or boil it down to make sure I'm having good conversations. Great. You have to, you have to, you know, dynamically manage those people, right? That's where coaching and, and all that kind of good stuff comes in. The, I think what we're seeing is there's not a one size fits all, set it and forget it, here's how you sell. No matter how many organizations or companies or products want you to believe that that's what it is. It is a dynamic, you know, moving target that we're working with. And so, yeah, I love that idea of saying, Hey, let's try this. Let I think it's X number. I think it's X number of ac activities. Might be calls, might be email. I mean, a lot of times I teach cadences where it's like, hey, there's calls, there's emails, there's regular LinkedIn or social media presence, right? And you're putting that all together and then trying it. And, you know, then you tweak, right? Then, then you tweak it. And I think to tie this back into the, the, the conversation of the hyper-connected selling, it's, it takes time to personalize for that hyper-connectivity. And, and I think that's where a lot of the sales leadership needs to realize it, it takes a little bit longer to have that personalization and that mm -hmm. personalization has drastic uh, positive re repercussions, I think. So uh, I think that's all really relevant. Okay, so um, let's, let's hit this, we'll do rapid fire. Um, what would you say maybe are the biggest changes? Uh, we've talked about what the core still is relevant. What would you say the biggest changes that you've seen? Yeah, we, we touched on it. I mean, to, to kind of sum it up, customers have access to information they never had before. They're coming in way more informed. At the same time, they don't know how to parse through that information and use it to make better decisions. So your job is to be the person that helps them make a good decision based on that information. Um, as I say, a lot of times prospects don't know what they don't know. And so instead of being the information provider, you're the insight provider. You're the, the connect the dots person. And I think that's the biggest change. Concurrently with that change then is the fact that we are much more, I think even in sales, a little more marketing driven or you know brand and reputation. Uh, we've touched on LinkedIn a couple of times. I think the smartest thing a, a salesperson can do is make sure they're on LinkedIn 30 minutes a day right? Having conversations, reaching out, sharing some content. Not, not 30 minutes, trust me, they're wasting more than 30 minutes a day. So they have the time. That doesn't take away from any outreach or anything else they're doing. But yeah, to your point, the sales cycle might be longer. There might be a bunch of other influences happening um, within that process. But as long as you're there and moving it along, you're going to be successful. So I, I would say that's probably the, the biggest change is the fact that we have the collected knowledge of the world in our pocket. So we have to change how we go out to people uh, and sell. Nice. Okay. So we'll do our rapid fire questions here. So um, looking at 
that connectedness, what would you say the biggest challenge or mistakes that you've seen whenever you've been working with, with other salespeople, sales leaders, what would you say the biggest challenge or, or thing that they're screwing up in that connectedness? The, it goes back to that mindset issue we talked about. They're, they're not seeing that the world is different and they're not acknowledging that the, there's not always a direct result from their activity, but that doesn't mean that there's not a result. Yeah, and that, that's an interesting statement, right? There's, there might be, not be a direct correlated result because a lot of what we're talking about here goes reckons to marketing, right? They, they talk about um, the, the, leading, the leading cause or the, the curating cause of marketing, right? The, uh, what's the, yeah. the attributes? What's the word I'm looking for? I can't think of it right it's now. It's attribution of like- what's, Yeah, thank what's, you. Yeah. Lead attribution, right? And, and it's a little bit difficult and fuzzy to find oftentimes and same with that connectedness. So that's, that's a really good tie-in. Um, now, how about a best business hack that you would suggest, whether it's for hiring sales talent uh, or sales in general, a sales tactic, we've hit a lot of those, or maybe even scaling of the business. What's one uh, hack that you might suggest for people out there? Just one. I, I, we, <laughs> you know, I, here, here's the hack I would say for um, hiring salespeople, have multiple touches between you and the, sale, the potential salesperson through different channels. Right. So if, if we're expecting the salespeople we hire to be on LinkedIn, to send an email, to make a phone call, make sure that you're interacting with them that way as well, because you'll see how they really are. Right. Not the, the, the perfectly quaffed version that, that they show in the interview. Nice. I like that one. Super easy. All right. Uh, how about resources that you might recommend for people to get as smart uh, as you on books, podcasts, guides? What might, what might you suggest? So, well, you know, I've, there's a couple books that I would recommend by this guy, David Fisher. He's uh, they're pretty good. Um, got, there's so many. I, I, here's actually, beside, instead of a book, what I would suggest is if you want to be successful, read every, read every day for at least 15 minutes, a book, not a, online or anything like that. And it, there's so many great sales books out there. I mean, I'm sure you have this at home. I've got the shelf of books I've read. Uh, read sales books, read business books, read psychology, you know, read, re, uh, behavioral psychology is fantastic. Read into some of that stuff, uh, influence, read marketing books, but just, just read something. If you do that 15 minutes a day, you're going to read a book or so a month. You will be so far ahead of the game because you'll get so many ideas. And that's where that business acumen really comes from. Yeah, I love that. And and for those of you who are like me that read Galatially Slow, check out Audible, right? Read Audible, audiobooks. Yep. Audiobooks, yep. or um, there's another great resource, and I can put it into the show notes here as well, called um, Reading Graphics. Uh, it mm. takes those Audible books or those great books and sums it up. So uh, that way you Perfect. can go back and, and apply it. Um, awesome. Now, how about trends you're seeing, D-Fish? Uh, other than cool names, what, what trends do you see that you're watching for going, holy crap, this is going to bite us or, ah, this is really exciting. I can't wait. You know, they, they, they've said that sales uh, is going away uh, for like, I don't know, a century now. So I don't think sales and salespeople are going away. What, what, what the trend I'm looking towards is what parts of the sales process are going to be mechanized, are going to be routinized. Um, it's already started to happen in the last couple of years. It's going to get you know, accelerated. So where is AI, machine learning? Where is that, that sales stack, which, you know, I, I, I'm not negative on sales stack and, and sales tools. It just has to be put in the proper context. I do think it's going to take more and, and, and more of the routine tasks off of a salesperson's plate, which also means that a lot of the routine salespeople are going to be out of a job. And so I think the other part of it and absolutely, absolutely biased on this is what we were talking about today. Learn the skills, learn the human skills, because that can't be replicated by a machine. Learn the uh, problem-solving skills, that can't be replicated by a machine. I, I think the salesperson of 10 years in the future is going to be very different than the, the salesperson of 10 years ago and even of today. I'd agree with that. And it seems to have been just accelerated beyond belief with, with uh, yeah. these last couple of months. So well, cool. Well, D-Fish, I really appreciate it. It's been a ton of fun here, a ton of practical advice. So those listening, I really hope that you can take some of this and, and apply it. So D, who should reach out to you? How should they do it? And why should people reach out to you? 
Yeah. So uh, anybody just wants to, uh, you know, be around a cool dude, reach out now. Uh, if you somewhere are somewhere else, right? Yeah. Right. If, if you, uh, if you're in sales, if you are in sales leadership, especially if you want to, you know, kind of learn how to navigate this world more effectively, would love to talk. But also, of course, if you want your teams to be doing this more effectively. And I work at, with everybody from, you know, three to five level consult, uh, person consultancies up to some of the biggest names in the world. Um, and the best way of reaching out to me, uh, LinkedIn. Find me on linkedin.com slash in slash IMDFish, I-A-M-D-F-I-S-H, or come to my online home at davidjpfisher.com uh, and just reach out, hit the, hit the connect, and I uh, would love to start that conversation. Perfect. And we'll have that information in the show notes. So you can definitely uh, reach out to him, check out his, his books. Uh, you want to drop your books? What are some of the books that you have? Yeah. So the ones that just came out, Networking in the 21st Century, uh, Why Your Network Sucks and What to Do About It. We just came out with the second edition of that. And Networking in the 21st Century on LinkedIn. We just came out with the third edition of that. So these are up to date, take into account everything that's happened with uh, the pandemic and whatnot. And then some we've talked about a lot, uh, hyper-connected selling as well. So I would really suggest taking a look at uh, any of those. And they're all available on Amazon in uh, multiple formats. There you go. On Audible? Uh, the Networking in the 21st Century is, and hyper-connected selling is. The other ones will be coming out in the uh, uh, early 2022. Perfect. I'll, I'll be listening for them. <laughs> you, you'll wait for those. Fair <laughs> enough. <laughs> hey, thanks so much, uh, Dee. I really appreciate it. It's been a lot of fun. Uh, so again, learning for knowledge sake is pointless. Let's learn for uh, application sake, learn how to really connect with people, empathize, watch their body language, look into the camera, see what they're doing with their body language, watch the pauses, uh, connect with them. So that was the first thing is being that empathetic to connect. Then secondly is learn how to problem solve, connect the dots for others, build that business acumen through, through uh, learning, reading of books, really getting out and interviewing those that, uh, you know, other CFOs, if you're selling to CFOs, CTOs, interview them and then feed back to them how you've changed. And they're, they're going to really respect that. And lastly, get really good at storytelling. Um, take classes, go out and read the hero's journey, whatever it takes to get good at storytelling. And uh, take this and, and be fruitful, multiply, have some fun out there, make some money, save some lives, kiss some, kiss some babies and, and shake some hands out there, would you? All right. Hey, thanks, D. I really appreciate it. Until next time, signing off. Talent, Sales, and sale, Scale Show. Brian Whittington, CEO.